Welcome to Total Teen Health and Wellness, the podcast for parents of teenagers to learn more about how medical and mental health issues are affecting their teen children. This is Dr. Shauna Garza, and I'm an adolescent medicine physician, providing essential education and helpful guidance to parents of teens and young adults. This podcast encourages parents to empower their teen children to live healthy and balanced lives. Welcome back, everyone. This is Dr. Garza, your host of Total Teen Health and Wellness. Today for episode 10, I'm going to start a series on how we care for patients with eating disorders. I get many referrals from pediatricians, therapists, dietitians, and also word of mouth to treat and help patients start on their recovery from eating disorders. In my practice of adolescent medicine, I start seeing patients at 10, and over the last two years that we've been living during this COVID and pandemic time, we're seeing patients present with eating disorders much younger than before. I see patients through high school and college, and those are also times with higher incidence of eating disorders. So I want to go over who is being affected, what to look out for, and how we care for eating disorders. In following episodes, I'm going to review the medical side of evaluation and treatment, also mental health treatment and eating disorders, the role of nutrition, why diets are dangerous in teens, and other issues. So stay tuned if this is relevant to you, and please share this with people you know or parents you know that are facing these issues in their children and you know, for them to be better informed and, and, and ready to help. So eating disorders are fairly common. 9% of the U.S. population will have an eating disorder at some time in their life. Often when I'm seeing patients, I find that they are hearing about eating disorder behaviors or are influenced Uh, by these behaviors in their household where parents or siblings are also struggling with disordered eating and issues. It's really important for parents to realize and also other clinicians to realize that only less than 6% of people with eating disorders are underweight. And we often are checking patients' weight at their well visits. You hear often when you go to a pediatrician or adolescent medicine doctor, we were, you're following patients' growth curve and what percentile of weight they are, which means kind of where they fall in with their peers. And, um, you know, we want to make sure that patients are growing along the same growth curve throughout their childhood and teen years. So when we think about the fact that we screen for eating disorders typically through seeing patients with weight loss or where they're not growing on their expected curve and being classified potentially as underweight, we know that that type of screening may be inadequate. We may be not identifying patients with eating disorders that have a normal weight. So that's really important to recognize as parents that the weight and body 
shape are different in different eating disorders. Eating disorders do have patterns in family. There has been study that there is some genetic component to this. And we know there's also a lot of environmental factors as far as how food and meals and body are all discussed in the family and household environment. Eating disorders are among the deadliest mental illness. The rate of death, either by medical complications or by suicide and eating disorders, is very high. The only other cause of death that's higher in mental illness is actually due to opioid overdose. And we know that's a huge problem in the United States. So if you think about how many patients are affected with overdoses and the stories you hear on the news um, with issues coming up even very recently, there are a lot of patients with eating disorders that are also having really scary and sad outcomes. There are 10,000 deaths every year as a result of an eating disorder. And it's important to know for clinicians and for parents that up to 26% of people with eating disorders attempt to die by suicide. And so this is a very concerning illness that affects the physical body and can have lots of medical complications, but also has a lot of mental health complications and can be very dangerous for patients. I'm going to go over real briefly different types of eating disorders that we identify and treat. Most patients have heard of anorexia nervosa and classic anorexia is really characterized by low weight for the patient's age, which could be through failure to grow as expected or weight loss, where they end up with a low weight percentile for their age. And this is caused by a restriction of food intake and a lot of emphasis on limiting calories, limiting fuel, skipping meals, It's accompanied by body image issues with an emphasis on thinness and a distorted body image where patients can see themselves as overweight even when they are severely malnourished. So there's this distortion of body image, intense fear of gaining weight, and this leads to very disturbed eating behaviors. There's also something called atypical anorexia that I like to mention, and this is more of a general term. Some clinicians will refer to it as eating disorder, not otherwise specified. But what it refers to is a patient that has a lot of the same thought processes with wanting to be thin, very critical of body image, restrictive behaviors with eating, over-exercising, those types of things, but their weight may actually be in a normal range for their age and height. And so these are the patients that can be harder to identify. Parents may not be as aware unless they're very observant about some of the language the patients are using about themselves and food or actually observing some of these behaviors. There's also uh, bulimia nervosa, which is characterized by binge eating, which could be eating large amounts of food, 
uh, with a sense of a loss of control. I also qualify that in patients and tell patients it's not really about the quantity of food, but it's about the emotional feelings that are felt during that time of eating, that loss of control followed by intense shame or guilt for eating more than was allowed or more than they intended. And then bulimia is is characterized by a purge, which is compensating for the binge. When patients feel that guilt, they'll turn to ways to get rid of those calories. And that um, could be with purging, which we think of as vomiting, but it could also be with medications that patients use, laxatives, fasting, which would be like not eating for the rest of the day, or excessive exercise. And so those patients often will be in normal range for their weight, um, but they do have very similar patterns of fear of gaining weight, wanting to lose weight, being very unhappy with their body size and shape. There's also a condition called binge eating disorder. And binge eating disorder is where patients feel that loss of control and and feeling very distressed about being hungry, very distressed about eating or the amount they're eating. But where it's different from bulimia is that there's not um, purging that follows the, the eating episodes. And those patients can be at a variety of, of weights. And so for us to be able to identify these concerns, we really have to ask the right questions. And then I encourage parents to be observant and try to notice if your child is maybe acting differently around food than the others in the family or is sneaking snacks or you're finding wrappers or other evidence that they might be binge eating, you know, to have those open conversations. And the key to these kinds of conversations is to approach this in a non-judgmental way and coming from a place of love and concern to try to get your child help, which is talking to the right people for care is seeing a doctor that specializes in this, talking to therapists and dietitians at work with these concerns and helping patients really take the first steps in recovery. Another area of eating disorders that we see relate more to feeding disorders and those patients do not typically have body image issues. They're not focused on being thin or self-weighing or being hypercritical of their body, but they do have disordered eating. Some patients have extreme pickiness where they are having very limited variety in what they eat and not eating enough for their body to function well. And then there are patients that avoid food because of certain physical feelings often that they feel when they eat. And that is considered a condition called avoidant restrictive feeding disorder, and that is called ARFID. Um, And that, for many patients, they've had history of belly pain with eating or choking or choking sensation. And so then they um, avoid food because they worry about feeling those symptoms again. Essentially, those patients can be very malnourished from not eating a variety and not eating enough. 
and then they can lose weight and fail to grow really like other eating disorders, but it's more of a feeding disorder. So I do want to just go over briefly how eating disorders are treated in general. There are what we call levels of care. So patients often think about inpatient care, which would be kind of the highest level of care. And inpatient care is very critical for patients when they need it. That relates to medical instability, and I'll go over that in a following episode. But medical reasons may require patients to be inpatient where there's complications going on related to the eating disorder. Or we also have mental health reasons for inpatient, and that relates more to self-harm and suicidal thoughts where patients need to be monitored in a controlled, a safe environment. And then what we do on the kind of the other end of the spectrum is what is called outpatient care of eating disorders. And typically these patients are working with an outpatient team. They have a dietitian and therapist that they see outpatient once a week, sometimes twice a week, sometimes every two weeks, kind of depending on how things are going and where they're at in their recovery. And then they're seeing me regularly for treatment and monitoring of medical complications and also treatment of mental health issues. And I plan to do an episode really on the mental health issues related to eating disorders and how we treat those. Then in between these two kind of ends of care, there are intensive programs. And so if patients are seeing us as an outpatient, for example, but they're really not restoring their weight, they're not able to comply, they're having lots of roadblocks and barriers to their recovery, then often we'll refer them to a higher level of care. And locally in our area in Dallas-Fort Worth, there's lots of good options and there's lots of good options in the state of Texas. And then just even in other states, sometimes patients will seek care at other programs. And those programs vary, but there's something called PHP, which is a partial hospitalization program where patients will spend full days there and have observed meals. Often they'll be doing breakfast and lunch and snacks in a observed controlled environment with their peers and with support, lots of therapy, lots of uh, guidance. And then um, in between outpatient and that, there's a program called IOP, which is a intensive outpatient program. And typically those patients are going a few hours a day, sometimes a few hours, three days a week. And that's where patients need more therapy and guidance and the dietitian support, but they're really able to manage most of their day safely at home and are complying with their treatment plan. So, you know, many patients come in with a new diagnosis or parents are observing symptoms and wanting a patient to be evaluated. And it's good for parents to know kind of what to expect Um, You know, I think looking for the symptoms in your child and being observant of how they are seeing themselves and how they're behaving around food and exercise and understanding how patients can get care for eating disorders, what that looks like 
is uh, very important too. So stay tuned for following episodes on different issues related to eating disorders. I plan to do this series over several episodes. And again, share this with parents that you think this can help or other people that are needing to be more aware of eating disorders. And I hope that this helped you today as well. And remember, you know, you really can help your child get on the healthy road of recovery. And we're here to help. If you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, our office at Girls to Women Young Men's Health specializes in the outpatient care of eating disorders and uh, work with many different professionals in the community to help care for teen and young adult patients that are dealing with these issues. Until next time. Thanks for listening today. If this episode helped you better understand the health of your teen and you're ready to learn more, please subscribe to hear future episodes of this podcast. Consider sharing it with other parents of teenagers. And remember, parents can help their teens live healthy and balanced lives. 